thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. So, we finish our series on Isaiah. For those of you who've been coming for quite a while, particularly over the summer we've been looking through the book of Isaiah, we've not done the whole 66 chapters. Uh, Jeff spoke last week, and the theme has always been hope and, and promise. God's promises to us so that we might have hope. There's an awful lot of other stuff in there. There's a lot of warning. And chapter 66 pretty much sums up the rest of the book. And it also actually, I think, sums up basically what God wants for us today. So we're going to read two verses from Isaiah in a moment. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 66. And we're only going to read the first two verses. I'll leave it to you to read the rest because the first two verses are saying what God wants. The last of the chapter is the warning, actually, if you just don't listen to God. So this morning we have a choice. I've stayed in many different places, tents on muddy fields. I've stayed in mountaintop buildings with no electricity. And this weekend we had my nephew's wedding. For those of you who remember my, my eldest nephew, Nathan, was a, a, a page boy. And then they said a flower girl. That's wrong. That's how tired I am. He was a page boy at our wedding. And uh, he was married on Friday to Annabelle Young. And uh, we had to stay to form a premier in. I think that's probably because it's not as premier as it used to be. But uh, we stayed, and I was thinking as I took my bag out to the car, it was purely a place to rest my head. We got there very, very late, and we left there quite early. So all I did in that premier in, or oh, it's not premier in, it's the best western now, uh, it's the best of the westerns. <laughs> all we did in that premier in, in that hotel, was sleep. We paid for two rooms and we slept. And it made me to think, actually, I wasn't staying there long. It was purely to rest on my way in the journey. I remember once we went to America a few years ago. The, the, Dodds, the rest of the Dodds came and the Daltons were in, in America as well. And we had to pick Joel up from his last event at NGM on the Friday night to fly out of Heathrow at about five o'clock in the morning. There was no way... I was paying for a hotel to stay in for a couple of hours. Not a chance. So we picked Joel up at about half nine. We left Bristol and we parked in a lay-by near Heathrow Airport, surrounded by all our luggage with me, Ros, Joel, Chloe and Corey who was with us. Five of us in a car, surrounded with all our luggage in a lay-by because I was not paying for a hotel. Oh, that was close. See if you're paying attention. I wasn't paying for a hotel for a couple of hours to stay and sleep, so we slept in a car. I have to say, it was probably the worst night's sleep I have ever had in my entire life. Every five seconds there was a lorry came, thundering past and woke you up. Every so often you're thinking, is it going to hit me? Sometimes you're thinking, oh, um, I might miss the flight. And I might. You ever do that where you've got to get up early and you think, oh, I might oversleep? And so you end up not sleeping because you don't want to oversleep. And then you probably fall asleep at the last minute and miss your alarm. And actually, it was the worst night's sleep I've ever had. 
Every thought was about missing the flight and meaning that, you know, I would never want to stay there again. And that is why home is important. I've got somebody in the background, just, just amuse yourself, it's fine. Home is important, isn't it? Even when you go on holiday, there's something good about coming home, isn't there? Yeah, would you agree? Is it just me? Something good about getting back into your own bed and to be in your own place. The place where you settle and the place where you dwell. Where we make our home is crucial. And as we come to the end of Isaiah, it talks about where does God want to make his home? Where does God want to build his house? Where does God want to remain and dwell? And we see a choice in this chapter. And today, that choice is the same for you and me as it was for the, the people back then. These people were God's people that were being spoken to. And they were being told, you've got a choice. You can either be somebody who God looks on with favor. Or you can actually choose to just go through the motions. And that won't end well. So today, that's your choice. Will you be people who do what God asks? Or will you be people who says, do you know what? I'll look good on a Sunday, but the rest of the time, it's my life. I'll do what I want. That's the choice. And God challenges us today. This chapter links to what God is all about. And again, as we've seen when Donna spoke and Jeff shared a few weeks ago, or last week, that the whole story of the Bible is encapsulated in this chapter. So we're going to read. So the chapter has advice and consequences of not listening to that advice. We're just going to look at the good advice. So verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 66 say this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is the house you will build for me, says God. Where will my resting place be? Where can be the place that God can rest in your life? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they became into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Someone said recently, yeah, what is it? Why, why is it talking about fearing God? I thought God was all about love. And so I said to the person, I said, well, you're scared of me. <laughs> and they went, well, no. <laughs> I thought I felt a bit offended by that statement, actually. Are you scared of me? I said, they said, no. But actually, you don't know this, but that person, I had an element of, of a choice I could make would actually leave them in a difficult situation. I said, well, really, maybe you should be scared of me. He said, well, you won't do that because you're kind. I said, yeah, I am. I'm loving it. But actually, there's got to come a point where I can't just keep on going through those motions with you, and I've got to make a choice. And I believe that's what God is like with us. God will say to us, yes, I am love. Yes, I am kind. But come on. I can't keep letting it go. I can't keep letting it slide. There's got to come a point where it doesn't happen anymore. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Where is God's home? Where is the house that you will build for God? Where is the house that I will build for God? Firstly, 
The word house is used and linked to four different things in the Bible. Okay? The first one is the whole universe. Because God is, God is here. God has already said it in the worship. The whole universe is God's home. Yeah? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. So when we think of the word house in the Bible, it's linked to the entire universe. The second thing is the temple. There were three different types of temple in the Bible. There was the tabernacle that traveled around. There was the first rebuilding of the temple and the second building of the temple. So God's house was found in that temporary structure. It was found in that place. That's where the the people of Israel went to worship, where the Jews went to worship. Thirdly, it's linked to Jesus. It's linked to Jesus. Jesus himself said, I'll tear down this temple and in three days rebuild it. The home of God was completely in Jesus. The whole of God dwelt in Jesus. He lived there. He stopped there. Jesus wasn't just a lay-by near Heathrow Airport where everything disturbed. Jesus was the complete resting place of God. He was God. And the fourth thing is it's linked to us. The Bible says we are his temple. Our body is his temple. The Bible promises the Holy Spirit to dwell in us if we accept it. He wants to make his home in you, not just with you. Is that exciting? I'm the one who's tired. Come on, wake up. Hey, give yourselves a slap around the face or something like that. You know, God wants to make his home in you and with you. He wants you to be his home. What house are you building for him? Or are we not building at all? Does it look a bit like the rubble of my mother-in-law's granny and axe at the minute? <laughs> or is it finished? Is it onto completion? Is it a place where God can make his home, where he can stay, not just for a night or for a Sunday, but where he can remain? Is that the type of house you've got to build for him? That's our life? Is that what we're building? This is the choice. Don't say to me, this is really simple stuff, Johnny. You know, I've heard this before. I could tell you 50 new things, but if you don't do it, that's not spiritual maturity. But if I tell you one thing and you do it, that's spiritual maturity. We've got to take action. We've got to do something with our lives. Where is the house you will build for me, says God? Where will my resting place be? Where can God be at home? Because can he be at home in my life with all the other distractions, with the lorries that rumble through, with all the things that I'm worried about? Can God be at home in my life? Can God be at home in your life? Where will my resting place be? Well, in the Old Testament, it was above the Ark of the, of the Covenant, wasn't it? It was above the Ark. That was his resting place. That was the presence. Then it was behind the curtain, where only one person could go once a year. It was behind the curtain. And yet now, in the New Testament, God says, I've ripped that curtain up. I want to make my resting place in you and with you. Will you open the door and let me build? Instead of you building something for me? It's not a holiday home for the highest. It's a resting place for the Almighty. He wants to dwell in you. That's your choice. He's not going to force his way in. He isn't looking for a brief stopover in your life to be disturbed and pushed out by everything else. He isn't looking for a lay-by or a premier in experience. He's looking for a permanence. He's looking for a permanence. He doesn't want to be squashed in with all our baggage and disturbed by the juggernauts of everyday life. He wants to be made a home and he will help you clear out the rubbish. You've just got to let him 
Are we building a house for God to rest? Will we allow him to be more than just a brief stopover on our journey? Because if it's just about Sunday, that's all you're doing. Let's carry on. What qualities then is God looking for to make his home in? Verse 2 of Isaiah 66 says this. If we put verse 2 of Isaiah 66 back up, sorry. It says this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. That's what God's looking for. If you want to read the rest of the chapter, there's one verse of what God is looking for. There's about 11 or 12 verses of what God says, that doesn't cut the mustard. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want that. I don't want this. I don't want the other. I just want this. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. So the Hebrew word here, where it says to look, who am I looking for? Who do I look on with favor? The Hebrew word that's used is norbat. Well, that might be a bit uncomfortable to say that in the current climate, to norbat, but norbat, it means this, to look on intently, to gaze upon, to focus my attention on. So who is God focusing his attention on who is God going to look at intently you know I went to a wedding on Friday and one of the comments as the bride walked down the aisle was that the groom turned and didn't break eye contact they just gazed at each other you could tell they wanted this moment they wanted this marriage you know Ros will tell you I didn't really turn around much I was perhaps thinking I wasn't thinking oh maybe this is a bad move I was just thinking is that the done thing are you not supposed to stand there and wait till they're here before you look at them but actually the bride and groom on Friday just stared intently at each other why because they were in love for better and for worse in the tough times and in the good times they gazed at each other intently. Their focus on that day was on each other. But we all know that sometimes in a marriage, our focus can drift. Is that what we're like with God? Because if you are married, if you focus on God drifts, then actually your focus on your marriage will drift. God looks intently to find somebody he can bless, to find people he can bless with favor. That doesn't mean stuff. That means his presence, his home, with you, in you. God is looking intently. This word Norbat means to focus, to gaze upon. So who is he looking for? Because that's the big question, isn't it? Who is he looking for? He's looking for those that are humble and contrite in spirit. Those he will look on with favor. You know, Jesus himself echoed this in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it won't be on the screen, says this. God blesses those who are humble. Why? For they will inherit the earth. That's the favor of God, the inheritance of God, inheriting everything. You know, this should be exciting. We've got some amazing Nigerian families in our congregation. Guys, don't become English. Please don't become English. I've said this before. Please don't become English. I want, you know, it will only take two or three of us to be going, yes. And everybody else will go, yeah, I can do that as well. But we put such pressure on. I can remember going into secondary school assemblies. And we would go into a secondary school assembly with some amazing street dance or something like that. And the year sevens, they would be what you could see them in the seats. They'd be in the seats going, oh, I'm really enjoying this. I really want to clap. And yeah, yeah, when the people... But then they'd have the year nines and tens behind them going, don't you even think about it. 
this is school. We are not getting excited in school. Don't do it. Don't do it. And the year sevens will be under such pressure from behind them, they could feel the eyes boring into them, going, don't you dare get excited about this. This is assembly. We don't want to do it. Don't get excited. And the year sevens are going, but I want to. I want to. I want to. If you're in church this morning and you're thinking, I really want to say something, do it. Don't let the people around you put you off. Because actually, it's exciting news. It's exciting news. God blesses those who are humble, for they'll inherit the earth. It's exactly what Isaiah is saying. God is looking to bestow his favor upon the humble. What's his favor? His inheritance. This isn't a couple of quid in the bank. This is an everlasting life. This is eternity in that new heaven and new earth that Jeff talked about last week, where there's no pain, no suffering, no tears. Is that not good? Yes. Come on. Yeah. I'm not doing it just to... to, I just think we've got to get excited, because if we're not going to get excited, people in the street next door aren't going to get excited. People in the gym aren't going to get excited. Their tubes are going, like that. If they get excited, they'll probably pull a muscle. I don't know. Jesus repeats the same fact from Isaiah. But it's interesting. There is a word used in Isaiah that we translate as contrite. That word is only used in three places in the Bible. The word is this, norke. It's only used in three places. So we're going to look at the two other places it's used. But what it means is it literally means lame. Now, lame isn't a good word, is it? Back in the day, when I was younger, and some of, some of the people here were younger, you might say something was lame if it was rubbish, you know? If it was a bit rubbish. But the word lame means crippled. It means lame. It means disabled. It means being unable to do something. Literally lame. And it's used in two other places. And the, the two other places are in the story of Mephibosheth. Do you know the story of Mephibosheth? We were talking about Bible names at the wedding, and uh, it's not one you hear very often, is it? Maybe we should start a trend. Where's oh, Grace and uh, they're not here today. Maybe they're going to have a baby Mephibosheth. I don't know. Mephibosheth. Would you call them Meph for short, or Buff, or I don't know. Anyway, but the first time we hear of him is in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. So this is the context of Mephibosheth. Are you ready? Going to give you seven points to finish this morning. They're going to be quick points, so don't panic thinking, oh my days, it's quarter to 12, he's got seven points, I'm going to be here till next week. That's why the barbecue was, or the pitch, the barbecue, the beach picnic was at four o'clock because I'm going to go on to half past three. No, it's not going to happen. Four, seven things I'm going to tell you about Mephibosheth, but 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 is where we first see him, and it says this, Jonathan the son of Saul, Jonathan, who David loved. King David loved Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was lame, norke, contrite, who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. He became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. He was lame. Why was he lame? Because his nurse was carrying him to get away from the problem and she fell and he injured himself and he was lame in both his feet. It's the same word as contract, contrite. Now you might think, why are we talking about this? It will become clear. The next time we see the word and the next time we hear of Mephibosheth is in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. So I'm going to read these verses 
and then I'm going to give you the seven points where this chapter in Isaiah and this chapter in Samuel basically tell us the whole gospel message. Okay? So 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13 say this. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? There's another name we could go for, eh? Ziba. At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame, norke, contrite. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right, but it sounds okay. When Mephibosheth, son of David, sorry, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, Mephibosheth replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So I've read the whole chapter, so you get the story of Mephibosheth, what happened to him. And you might still be thinking, Johnny, what relevance has that got? There's actually another bit I noticed as I read it again there that's got even more relevance, but we'll come to that. So David is the king. He's the king. He's the promised king of Israel. And what does he want to do? He is looking for somebody to bless. Is that not like Isaiah? God is looking for people to bless, to find favour with, to give inheritance to. David is looking for somebody to bless. He wants to bless someone from Jonathan's descendants. And he's looking for someone intently. His gaze is focused on a certain person. He's looking for people who are contrite, God is. Not the fittest. So today, if you think you're not good enough for God, God is not looking for the best and the, the best of the best He's looking for people who will respond. He's looking for people who will make the choice. He's looking for people who will say yes to him. Not learn stuff, but get it in their heads that they need Jesus living in them. They need to make a home. So, are we ready for a quick seven points? Okay? First point. 
Mephibosheth was lame because of a fall. Mephibosheth was lame because of a fall. We find out that he was running away with his nurse. His nurse was carrying him. She fell and he ended up lame. What happens at the beginning of Genesis in the Bible, Adam, Eve, go against what God wanted, disobey what God's rules were, and we call it the fall. And because of the fall, we've all become spiritually lame. We've all become unable to connect with God without somebody coming between us. We've become unable because of the fall. We've become lame. The fall of Adam and Eve left humanity lame. Not just a little bit lame either. Completely lame. Completely devastated because sin came in and stopped us having that connection with God. So there's the first point. Mephibosheth became lame because of the fall. Second point. Mephibosheth at this point is fatherless. He's fatherless. And also it says he came from Machia in Lodabar. Now you might think, sounds great. Machia in Lodabar. Well, what are the meanings of those names? Machia means sold into slavery. Lodabar means no pasture, barren. Mephibosheth is fatherless and in a place of slavery and in a place of barren unfruitfulness. Jesus came to seek and save the lost because we were fatherless, disconnected from God because of our fall, because of our lameness. We've been disconnected from God and we've been left in a barren place. Amazing. Amazing. He's a victim of the fall and now he's fatherless. In other words, just like us. First point. Mephibosheth became lame because of the fall. We've become lame because of the fall. Second point, he was fatherless in a barren place. We were born fatherless, if you like, in terms of God and in a barren place. Third point, told you I was going quick. Didn't need to worry. It's okay, I'll get over for your dinner. Third point, David was looking for him and asking for him. God is looking for you and asking for you. What does it say in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 3 to 4? It says, The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? God is desperate to show kindness because he loves the world so much. He gave. He gave. It wasn't just kindness. He gave his son. He gave everything. David is looking to show kindness. God has already shown kindness. We just need to accept it. David seeks out someone to bless. And in verse 4, when he's told about Mephibosheth, what's David's question? Where is he? After the fall in the book of Genesis, what's God's first question of humanity? Where are you? Where are you? God is asking the same question of you today. He's saying, where are you? I'm looking for you. He'd been walking in the garden. He'd been there with Adam and Eve. He'd been present. He'd been present. He'd been present. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't there and the people hid. This morning, God is asking the same question. Where are you? Where are you? Are you with me? Or are you covering yourself up in shame? God says, I want to find favor with you. I want to bless you. I want to pour out my love on you. I am looking for a people intently, a people who are lame because of sin. 
but who I can give an inheritance to, who I can give favor to. David was looking, but God is always looking. And what is Mephibosheth's response to that question? Where is he? And when he comes, what's Mephibosheth's response? At your service. That's the response of a servant. It's the same response that Moses gave, here I am. It's the same response that Samuel gave, here I am. Is that our response today? Is that your choice? Or do you just come to learn information? Or do you say, here I am. I'm willing to serve. If you only know one thing about God, you can do it. If that is, you know God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. You just accept it and get on. Don't wait till you dot every I and cross every T. He says, here I am. What else does David say? And this is the bit I've just noticed. In verse 7, he starts with, don't be afraid. What did Jesus say the most to his disciples? I hadn't even spotted this one. Jesus said, don't be afraid. David is looking for someone to bless. God is looking for someone to bless. And this constant message to us is, don't be afraid. Because you're going to get everything. You're going to get everything. Verse 7, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Does that tell me to shut up? No. <laughs> Mephibosheth is blessed not because of himself, but because of another. Is that not us? We are blessed because of Jesus. That's the answer usually in a Bible quiz. <laughs> Mephibosheth is blessed because of Jesus. So he's become blessed because of Jonathan, sorry. We're blessed because of Jesus. That's why I don't walk away from my iPad very often. He's blessed because he's from Jonathan's family. Do you know, God wants to bless those who've recognized their lameness who've recognized their sin and their fact that they can't connect with God without Jesus. God wants to bless. He wants to find favor because he wants to give them an inheritance of a place where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Do we choose that? Are we building that house? Or are we going to go through the rest of Isaiah 66 and see that sacrifice, worship, praise, it's not all those things that are important. It's acceptance. It's responding. It's saying, here I am. Fifth point. I think I've made four. Fifth point. Second Samuel 9, verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? <laughs> He's not feeling great about himself, is he? <laughs> You've got to remember in that culture, if you were lame, if you couldn't walk at all, you were of no use to anybody. You couldn't work. You couldn't do anything. You were absolutely the most useless person around. God says to you, you are good enough. He doesn't say you've got to get right before you come to me. He doesn't say you need to jump through hoops before you come to me. He says just respond. Mephibosheth's response to the request and to the offer is, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. How many of us respond in that same way? Just me? If you think I'm good enough just because I'm at the front of church, you've got it wrong. Because I really am not. Really am not. His response is to say, why are you looking for me? Why do you want to bless me? Why do you want to give me favor? I'm useless. I'm no good. I don't deserve it. 
That's the beauty of grace. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. We've got to accept it. We've got to accept it. So the question is, have you and what are you doing with it? <laughs> have you and what are you doing with it? Some of you, I think, have stuck at the yes, I've accepted it stage. You need to move on to the what am I doing with it? We need to move on and be a people of grace to others. That is the beauty of grace. We don't deserve it. We just receive it. Maybe you don't think of yourself as quite as bad as a dead dog, you know, because that probably isn't very pleasant. Yeah? Anyone feel, oh, I feel like a dead dog today? No? No, I don't think so. But maybe you've never heard that God is looking for you. Maybe you haven't heard that God is seeking for you, that he is looking intently to find favor with you and bless you. You just need to accept that you need help. Because we can't do it on our own. Yet so many of us, even Christians, even me, that have been involved with church and have been involved in Christ for so many years, sometimes we try and do it ourselves and only turn to God when it stops working when we've done it ourselves. We need to seek him. Not just a little bit, but that we need complete assistance of the king. Mephibosheth needed the complete assistance of the king. So do we. So do we. Sixth point. Mephibosheth was promised restoration. All the land, everything returned to him that he was supposed to have inherited. That's what we get. What was there in the beginning that was good, that was good, that was good, it comes back in that new heaven and that new earth. Restoration. God is a God of restoration. Our inheritance is that new heaven and new earth where things are right. The restoration of all we were meant to have in the first place. Is that exciting? Well, accept it and use it and do something with it and press into it. Last point. 2 Samuel 9, verses 11 and 13 say this. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the king, my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Mephibosheth became like the king's son. Is that not the promise of the New Testament? That we become like the king's son. You might be a, a lady here today and you think, well, I want to be a daughter. In that culture, the son got everything. So today you can accept you're a son. Because God wants to give you everything. We've just got to stop treating him like a layover in a lay-by. We've got to stop inviting him just to come in on a Sunday. We've got to stop inviting him to be like the premier room where we rest our head for a night. We need to make our home with him. We need to build his house for him. Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table. That is what is promised for those of us that recognize our lameness that we will always eat at the king's table. So Isaiah 66, where is God making his home? You've got the choice about that. I can't do it for you. You can keep looking intently at him and he will look intently back. And you can say, God, build your home in me with me, through me. Or you can look at the rest of Isaiah 66 
and see what God doesn't want and see the things that actually don't work, the things that aren't good, the judgment that will come. God is desperate to bring you to the king's table. He's desperate to bring you to the king's table. Will you accept the invitation? Have you accepted the invitation, but you only pop in on a Sunday? Do you just occasionally treat it like a fast food joint? Or do you say, I'm there for every meal. I'm there for every meal, because I know that the king's table is going to be the best. I'm going to be nourished. I'm going to be fed. I'm going to be, I'm going to be treated. I'm going to grow. But he needs us to accept that we are lame. In humility. That's humility, accepting that we're not great. To say, at your service. To be contrite of heart, and he will and can restore and renew. Do you want to be restored and renewed? Start today. Even if you're a Christian, even if you've been to church since you were little, start today. Do the one thing that God's asked of you. Don't just learn the 50 things you want to know. Do the one thing. That's the choice. To be his home and his temple or to just give him a brief place where he can uncomfortably stay for a little while before you move on and rest his head before we get him out. It's your choice. I hope you've enjoyed the book of Isaiah. Remember, there is judgment in there, but there is hope for those who accept the promise. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the things that we can discover and thank you for the, the trails that there are throughout scripture. And I pray that as we've read this book, we will recognize that you desperately want to make your home in us and with us. Father God, I pray that you will, you will just show us what we need to get out. <laughs> you will show us what we need to lay down and you will show us how we can do the one thing you're asking us to. Father God, I pray that you will just step afresh into our lives. Help us to just get our preconceived ideas away. Help us to know that we grow when we do the things you ask us to. And Father God, I pray that this, this church and this town will see people who have said, yes, build your home here. Build your home here. In the name of Jesus, amen.